Hello, everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. I'm happy that you found me, but friends, more importantly, I am thrilled that you have found Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus, and as we journey together, we will be unleashing discoveries of how to turn hearts of stone into ones of moldable clay for the potter to transform. So hopefully you'll join me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. And periodically, friends will delve into my mailbag answering questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Well, folks, as we prepare to enter into God's presence today, allow me to speak a blessing over your life. And this blessing first came to us from Moses' brother, priest Aaron, in the form of a benediction. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Well, I want to welcome everyone back. And today we're looking at generational curses, false witnesses, and false teachings. And we're going to do that for a few episodes. So we'll be specifically exploring what the Bible has to say about these things. We immediately start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, where Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, Don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature and wise in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures, I will speak to my own people through unknown languages and through the lips of foreigners. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now, Paul's saying Christians should be naive like children about evil, but mature in spiritual knowledge and understanding. But unfortunately, quite the opposite is often true. God's children tend to know more about sin and the ways of the world than they do about God's ways. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 9, Solomon teaches us a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. Now, this is a good warning that tail-bearing or lying is deadly for the soul of a person. We may be able to deceive people around us, but God knows when a person is lying, even if it's just a perceived small white lie. And if you've ever found yourself as the brunt of someone else's agenda, Think of scapegoat here, if you will, or the object of salacious, mischievous rumors. You know, the kind once the ball got to rolling, there was no stopping the number of people who wanted to hear the dirt, the gossip. Well, the one who began the tall tale couldn't help themselves. They felt more and more powerful as the tale grew larger, not caring at all about the damage they were evoking to the person who has a heartbeat and a soul that they were lying about. 
But this other person's soul, it's dead. It's black and rancid and growing more so day by day as they continue on telling dirty lies. These people care more about what the world thinks of them than about the truth of a matter. And these people don't know Jesus, nor do they care to get to know their creator. Oh, don't get me wrong. They've heard of him, all right. Statements often proceed from them like, yeah, that Jesus, he was a prophet. Ah, he might have been a high priest, but he was only a man who, like themselves, was able to possibly heal others. See, they have real, no real understanding of Jesus as God. And the path of destruction is forged by them. They advertise looking for people to join in on their mission of destruction against others. Heck, they will even go as far as advertising for dirt shamelessly when all their ideas seem to run out. And they'll even join other groups of people who they really don't like, but they form a commonality, a bond in putting their evil intentions against someone else or a group of other people. So relationships in the process are dismantled at every turn as their work for the evil one progresses. But the good news, friends, is that light always circumvents the darkness. And in Jesus is only light. He reminds us to turn towards him when we are being shamelessly slandered, ridiculed, and lied about by the evil darkness all around. You see, friends, it's not up to us to enact or secretly desire vengeance on those who are wronging us. God's word tells us in Romans that vengeance is his and he alone will repay. So this includes the moments we find ourselves in, which we know are not fair, but we've all heard life is not fair. Other people think it's their job to enact and erect justice for something they've been quote unquote working on for years as they attempt to find reasons to bring other people down low. And it's not enough to take away their livelihood away from them. Then they blackball you in the industry you spent the majority of your career in. And now you're over a million dollars in the hole from lost revenues. All of that's bad. But then they go as far as to red flag you with the IRS too. And wait, as if all of this isn't enough, they still go further. They attempt at every turn to even bankrupt you. Now, I know this all sounds like a bad Hollywood script, and yet it's not. We must recognize we're in a spiritual warfare battle. This is good versus evil, and this battle uses many cause and effect scenarios. A basic example that comes to mind is that of a store purchase post-pandemic. Some stores will no longer allow for returns and state that all sales are final. Now, this is definitely not across the board. It is in select markets, but it still touches many people directly into their bank accounts. And allow me to explain. I held a prestigious position within a highly regulated industry, but I dueled with the devil. This enemy had friends in high places and enacted a revenge campaign against not only myself, but my family as well. Now, this grouping of people wants me to be content with entry-level positions not relating to any area of my education, paying around $15 per hour. 
By the time I pay the taxes on a $15 per hour job, not that I wouldn't be thankful for the opportunity, but the income and investing in clothing and maintaining an appropriate appearance and gas to get to and from this job, it would cost me more to go to work than not to. And these people are still actively attempting to dismantle society. They're strategically picking off one household at a time. My purpose for sharing this though, friends, is not so you feel sorry for me. No, it's much larger than that. It's to warn you and your children of what's to come if we continue to allow this, if we continue to put up with this. If it could happen to me, it can happen to you and others. So we need to band together and not allow this. Biblically, this is evil. Over the next several days, I'll continue to provide more examples. But here's the good news, friends. God knows the truth and values me and you as his children. He doesn't jump to conclusions without all the facts first. Well-meaning people may admit they were wrong with their initial impressions. Unfortunately, frequently, once the damage is done, restoration through people is just not possible. Only God can restore the past going forward. And this is what I think is upsetting the apple cart. You see, personally, I'm content writing at home for Jesus. Every day, I'm learning and growing in Christ. And it's amazing that God always has the last laugh, doesn't he? So from here, we're going to explore the book of Acts, where Luke says in chapter 8, verse 9, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, claiming to be someone great. In the early church, we learn about the influence of the numerous sorcerers and magicians. These people worked wonders. They performed miracles, healings, and exorcisms, and they practiced astrology. Most likely, they were empowered by Satan himself. Because Simon had done so many wonders himself, some people mistakenly thought he was the Messiah, but his power was not of God. To clarify how sorcerers fit the framework of the early Christian church, we must recognize there were many of them Sorcery by definition means the use of power gained from the assistance or control of evil spirits, especially for divining. Simon claimed to be something great. If you remember Stephen, who was stoned to death, his contemporary was a man named Philip, who was a great evangelist. Philip went into Samaria and he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Men and women were baptized. So Simon himself believed and he was baptized too. He traveled on with Philip, seeing many miracles and signs of God. And Peter and John were sent to Samaria to lay hands on them. The baptisms were by the name of the Lord Jesus only and were awaiting the Holy Spirit. Luke teaches us in Acts chapter 8 verse 18, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given, when the apostles placed their hands upon people's heads, he offered money to buy this power. You see, Simon wanted to lay hands on people too, giving them the Holy Spirit. 
Peter rebukes Simon for wanting to purchase a gift from God. Simon was not pure in heart. He was nothing more than an agent of Satan. It turned out Simon was one of the largest threats Christianity faced in the first 200 years of existence. And what about Gnosticism? Recall during our false teaching episodes, we said that Gnosticism is the thought and practice of various cults of late pre-Christian and early Christian centuries, distinguished by the conviction that matter is evil and that emancipation comes through Gnosis. And if you're asking what Gnosis means, it's simply esoteric knowledge of spiritual truths held by the ancient Gnostics to be essential to salvation. So Simon was much like Judas Iscariot. He placed materialism towards spiritual realities. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and Simon wanted whatever the market would bear for the Holy Spirit. Today, the woke culture is stemming out of Gnosticism as an original cult. To refresh you on the term woke, it originated in African-American English and gained more widespread use beginning in the year 2014 as part of the Black Lives Matter movement. By the end of that same decade, it was also being applied by some as a general pejorative, meaning disapproval, for anyone who is or appears to be politically left-leaning. So how do false teachings infiltrate the churches? Before I answer this question, let's look at the leadership structure of the church. Jesus is over all of the church as our shepherd. The church's leadership comes next as the under shepherd. And then that is followed by the flock who is tended to by both the under shepherd and the shepherd. In a personal way that I was witness to false teachings being brought into the church was when the under-shepherds didn't guard the flock from television programming like Crossing Over with John Edward. Now, granted, this was at a time where my mother was in the hospital dying and I was devastated and I was, I was desperately seeking to know she was going to be okay. Nonetheless, false teaching easily slipped in and tried to steer me the wrong direction. So I was encouraged that that was okay. And if you're not aware of the premise of the show, it was about a man who could speak with people's relatives who have passed away. And according to the Bible, this is not okay. In Galatians, Paul teaches us more about false teachers, specifically Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. You are getting along so well. Who has interfered with you to hold you back from following the truth? These false teachers are always ones that will contradict the truth. They were numerous in Paul's day, as we said earlier, and they will continue to multiply as we move toward the end times. Listen to what Timothy says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from what we believe, 
They will follow lying spirits and teachings that come from demons. These teachers are hypocrites and liars. They pretend to be religious, but their consciences are dead. Jesus and the apostles continued to preach against false teachers as they were a serious threat to the church. We must remain on alert for teachers who give us the appearance of being in the light, but nonetheless operate out of darkness. They may seem to know what they're talking about and appear to be disciplined and moral in their speech for God, but if their words contradict the Bible, then their teaching is false. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, they make these proverbs come true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a washed pig returns to the mud. Peter was referring here to people who have learned about Jesus and how to be saved only to return to their sin instead. In order to protect ourselves and each other from error, we must know the truth and be able to discern falsehood. Galatians chapter 5 verse 8, Paul goes on to instruct that it wasn't God who interfered because he is the one who called us to freedom. God had not called the Galatians into legalism or into the law. False teachers use the Old Testament in their attempt to undermine Paul's teachings. Every cultist and false teacher tries to use the Bible to support his or her heresy. Galatians chapter 5 verse 9 further tells us, but it takes only one wrong person among you to infect all others. A little yeast spreads quickly through the whole batch of dough. Now we see that false teachers contaminate the church by permeating every area of fellowship until it takes control over the entire body. And this is shown and proven time in and time out through seminaries and colleges who stray away from the word of God. And what does verse 10 in Galatians say, chapter 5? Paul says, I am trusting the Lord to bring you back to believing as I do about these things. God will judge that person, whoever it is, who has been troubling and confusing you. We plainly are told that a false teacher will receive condemnation after Paul expresses his confidence that the Galatians will ultimately choose the right path. Paul promises that those who have troubled them will face the judgment of God. Recall what I said earlier about liars and money. Second Peter chapter two, verse three, here Peter is confirming this. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them so long ago and their destruction is on the way. Peter continues on in verse nine. So you see the Lord knows how to rescue the godly people from their trials even while punishing the wicked right up until the day of judgment. And finally, our last example from Galatians comes from chapter 5, verse 11, where Paul continues on, Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised as some say I do, why would the Jews persecute me? 
The fact that I am still being persecuted proves that I am still preaching salvation through the cross of Christ alone. What Paul was saying here was that teachers of truth are persecuted by false teachers. To a prideful man, the good news grieves them. We just said that God will condemn false teachers, placing these people in a situation where they cannot save themselves, nor can they earn their own salvation. Only belief in Jesus' finished work on the cross can save them. And when we preach this good news message as ambassadors of Christ, we will frequently be ridiculed and opposed. But finally, what does the great apostasy or rejection look like? Well, we learn that the last times began with Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection and will continue until he comes again, setting up his earthly kingdom and judging all of humanity. God's word is truth, integrity, and sound doctrine. It is inerrant, infallible, and unchangeable since the beginning of time. His word creates unity when properly taught. However, false teachers create division among the people when not properly taught. Sin is allowed into unclean hearts and confusion abounds. False teachers are good at manipulating the law. Instead of using the law as a guide and compass for morality, they'll attempt to make people righteous or approved. We are only God's righteousness because of what Jesus has done for us. When mankind was under the law, we were at enmity with God. For if only one of the Ten Commandments were broken, they were all considered to have been broke. God's way to remedy this problem was through a substitutionary propitiation at the cross. He exchanged humanity's sin and offered us the gift of eternal life via grace and mercy. So friends, I hope that this has touched you today. And if you have not been spiritually reborn, Jesus made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven, a person must confess their belief in God's son, Jesus. Listen to what the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God or righteous with God. Our sin then was placed onto Jesus at his crucifixion. His righteousness is given to us at our conversion. We can never ever repay this extraordinary gift of kindness back to Jesus. However, We can show him gratitude by growing in our relationship with him. We can make efforts to obey him, deepening this relationship daily. So today, friends, if this is you, I encourage you to take a bold step of courage, openly confessing after me, Father God, I'm repenting of my sins, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking. Jesus, come into my heart. I confess your shed blood washed away my sin at the cross at Calvary. 
Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you. You also may consider joining and growing a good Bible-based church, surrounding yourself with other like-minded believers. Now, let me be the first person to congratulate you on making the most important decision of your lifetime. Congratulations and God bless you. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. On Wednesdays, a special children's podcast is aired when we're not in the middle of a series. So tune in along with your kiddos for your favorite Bible stories that you grew up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, spiritual warfare, how to be joyful, what love in action looks like, biblical trust, and so many more topics. I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark together on this adventure of exploration of life together. So please join me. And if you like this episode, make sure to like and subscribe so you'll get the latest releases as they become available. And friends, Oftentimes, I reference my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you find content to be inspiring or compelling, you can pick up a copy from my website at pampastorcopywriting.com or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Dorrance.com. Importantly, though, if you're unable to afford a copy, please write to me. I will find a way to get a free copy into your hands. You won't be disappointed. The book is full of God's word. Until next time, friends, remember you have been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Until next time, folks, God bless you.